0: So it's great to be with you this morning. Do um, you feel like I'm in a, like a Sam's Club chicken cooker up here right now? A little bit, <laughs> a lot of lights on, but it's, hopefully you get the glare. Um, you know, this this our church is a special place. Um, in fact, last week after the service, this room actually got transformed um, as my youngest daughter graduated from high school last weekend. Uh, we were able to celebrate that achievement, and we're very excited. Um, Many of our family and friends, due to COVID, we were only able to have a few people, but um, some who were there and some who weren't there. What do you give a graduate? What is the graduate, what do they know? So don't say what's inside it, but what do most graduates get? A card. Now don't say what's inside it, a card, (laughs) okay? So greeting cards, right? Greeting cards are just part of our culture, right? That's what we do, we send a greeting card. And according to the Greeting Card Association of America, we purchase, any idea how many we purchase a year? 6.5 billion greeting cards a year, just in America. The most popular greeting card, of course, is the birthday card, followed by sympathy, thank you, wedding, thinking of you, get well, new baby, and congratulations. We've had you know several of those here. And then the top five most seasonal cards, of course, Christmas is number one, far and away, 1.6 billion Christmas cards, followed by Valentine cards at 145 million, Mother's Day at 133, Father's Day next weekend, 90 million. And graduation, 67. 67 million graduation cards this year were sent out. Woo! But the question is why do we do that? Why do we send greeting cards? Let's be fair, it's one way that we can convey a meaningful expression of our love for somebody. Telling someone else of our personal affection for them through sending a card is deeply ingrained cultural tradition that we have here in America as we manage these important relationships that we have. In fact, I'm sure if I asked each of you, there's a point in time where either you've forgotten to send a card or maybe you noticed that you didn't receive a card from somebody and that was maybe a slight concern of yours or a slight concern someone had about you. So these cards are part of our our culture. Um, In fact, some people, um, so so why is that? What what is going on there? There's a desire that we have to be loved and express love. And so, as we look at this last chapter in Hebrews today, that's one of the things we're going to pull out. But I want to start with these cards a little bit more. There's a few select people here um, who even start with a blank card, right? And they write their own sentiments in it. But most of us, what we do is we go to the store and we look for a card that expresses what's in our heart, and we're so glad when we find one that fits, right? That's just what I wanted to say. So today, what I want to do is we're going to look at different verses in Hebrews 13. But many of them are really what God is saying, look, this is my, how I want you to express love to this group of people in your life. This group of people, this group of people. And in fact, God himself, to all of us, demonstrated his love first to us. Right? He wants us to demonstrate that same love to others. So in our message today, we're going to be encouraged to experience a greater sense of the depth of God's love for us. and That's going to allow us to have a greater expression of God's love to others. So we're wrapping up a sermon series that's been shared many, many times. Through the book of Hebrews, and we're learning how Jesus is better and what it means to our lives. When this last section here, which spans the last three chapters, chapter 11, 12, and 13, as Pastor Brian shared, these last three chapters are about faith, hope, and today's love, right? And so in chapter 11, we looked at what faith looks like. Pastor Brian taught us that faith looks forward, it doesn't compromise, and how faith does great things. Talk about hope. Hope looks in our lives, and Pastor Brian taught us that we stay focused on Jesus, how it endures hardship, and it gives us a new mindset towards it. And I have six children, and if you can't appreciate that, and that bothers you, you, you need, we'll grow in our love towards that today, okay? So I love Solly, and I love Pete and Kim. Love those guys. So here in Chapter 13, we're going to look at love, and what love looks like in our lives, okay? We will see how deep God love, how deep God's love is for us, as expressed through Jesus' sacrifice, and we'll also see how deep God wants us to express this same love to other people that he's put in your lives. So we're going to turn with you to chapter 13, so if you have a Bible or your Bible app, it's a great time to pop that open. There's a lot of verses here, okay? So I typically speak rather fast when I get excited. I'm going to try hard to keep a good cadence here, but there's a lot to get through, so hang on to your seats. So be a little bit of a roller coaster of, of 25 verses that we're going to read that I'm going to read out loud here. So it starts in, in verse 1. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, people some people have shown hospitality to the angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all, And the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same today. sorry, the same yesterday, and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teaching. It's good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar which comes from those who minister at the tabernacle, have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most high holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an, an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of li, a lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others. For such sacrifices, with, with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. Now may the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought you back from the dead, our Lord, brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with every good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation, for in fact, I've written it to you quite briefly. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released If he arrives soon, I will come with him to see you. Greet all your leaders and all the Lord's people. Those from Italy send you their greetings. Grace be with you all. So is the word of the Lord. Now, as I mentioned, there's a lot of verses to traipse through here. Um, So what I want to do is we're going to look at these verses in sets. Um, There's different ways you can slice them. Um, I, for today, have have sliced them. We're going to first look at verses 1 through 7 and then walk through so many of our relationships I mentioned that we have here and we'll look at what it looks like, what love looks like in those relationships. That's going to be the most of our focus is on verses 1 through 7. Next, we'll trace through verses 8 through 15. We'll see a couple themes there that describe the love that God has for us, expressed in the sacrifice Jesus made for us and what it means. Next, we'll go back to more of a kind of bulleted items from 16 through 19. And there's some more relationships we get to look at and what love looks like there for us. And lastly, there's this benediction and final greetings, which will just remind us of the love that God has for us. So we're gonna start in verse one, verses one through seven, and we'll quickly touch on each verse and see what it means. We are first in verse one, encouraged to love each other in faith. It says in verse one, keep loving each other as brothers and sisters. So right at the onset, the idea of loving each other is the focus. The brotherly love here is the word Philadelphia. So if there's ever a place, right, where we've had the privilege of living in and around, is this city of brotherly love. We grew up here, we've heard it called that, and we've been reminded of what it means. This brotherly love expressed here is the deep love we have for one another as fellow believers, where, where we are generally concerned about one another. Where, we, where God transforms lives, and where people are strengthened, generous encouraged, Christianity is a matter of heart, where we care for one another. That's really what it's talking about here. And we're encouraged to let this brotherly love remain. So what's happening is, among this church, it's starting, and it he says, don't lose track of it. Keep it at the front, keep it the foremost. In fact, he said earlier in Hebrews 10, when Pastor Brian took us there, it said, and let us to consider how we may spur one another on towards what? Love and good deeds. And in fact, Romans chapter 12 has this same connotation of brotherly love. It says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. And I like this, it says, outdo yourselves in honoring one another. See if you can win the love competition, right? So that's the first thing, is like, how well are we loving each other? And over there, it's the in that Brian has in the circle. Verse 2, we're encouraged to love those who are foreign to us. It says, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. This hospitality means showing warmth and friendliness to strangers and being ready to show generosity by entertaining other people in our homes. It's a friendly, cordial, and gracious way of sharing the comforts of our homes and doing it in a way that people feel welcome. It's the out of loving our neighbors over there. I like how one writer put it, said, food is God's love made edible. So that's something I've been encouraged by. And so we're encouraged not to neglect to show this hospitality to strangers. We know how easy it is once you get to know somebody and they, maybe they go to our church or they're one of your friends, it's just easy to kind of just keep spending time with those same people, right? But if we look at jesus's life he was a very inclusive person who was multicultural who was always bringing people in and over the years in my life god has brought many strangers into our lives one such example my wife used to go to, there was a produce store over here in willow grove it's since shut down but she went there for a while before the aldi opened up and it, and she met this woman named bushra and a few of the ladies here may remember this lady and she met her she got to they just happened to be at the stores at the same time and befriended her to the point where during her pregnancy, she got to know her so well. We even hosted a baby shower for her here at our church. She didn't go to our church, she didn't, you know, whatever, but many of the ladies all came together here, and just loved on her the way that we've done through showers over the years with baby showers and wedding showers and you name it. And so what I wanna do is I just want us to keep in mind that even in my house, several of you were strangers. I've had you in my house when I didn't know you so well. There's a picture, I think, coming up here, yep. And, uh, and then we got to know you. So you go from being strangers to friends to really kind of part of our family. And as I reminded, why do we do this? We do it because God did it first to us. Romans 5, verses 8 through 10 remind us, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Since we now have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies... We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more being reconciled shall we be saved through his life? So let's turn to verse three. In verse three, we're encouraged to love those who are suffering in their faith. It says, continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. So I want to tell you a story about a lady who used to be part of our church. Um, it was a global partner named Janice Freitag. And she served in a very dangerous area. And what she did is she said, look, she helped us as a church to remember to pray for her. So she said, whenever you see eleven eleven on a clock, please remember to pray for her. And those of us who had, you know, it was amazed how many times we would see it, whether it was on your, on your car, whether it was on your nightstand, whether it was on your watch, whatever. And so I spoke to Janice this past week and got her permission to share the story. And she shares how the Lord has transformed that now that she's been back in the States and now is back working in other areas. That when she sees eleven eleven. It reminds her to pray for us, even though she's living in a different area and can't be part of our fellowship anymore. So again, this remembering has a strong intentionality to it. We're highly engaged, we're highly involved, and we want to remember ourselves. It's more than just seeing a clock that reminds us of something, but it's actually us setting our reminders. Many of you write notes for yourselves, pull the reminders in your phone. So how many of us are putting a reminder out there to pray, and more importantly, to remember people we know who are suffering? Pastor Brian did that earlier this morning in his prayers, and we get prayer things that come through, but we're just inundated with information. So I just want to encourage us um, to pray and to remember those who are suffering. Um, earlier in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34, we're reminded, you suffered along with those in prison. So there was, there was believers in this church, that some of them were in prison and were released. And they were probably happy that they're out, but they're like, hey, remember those who are still there and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew you and yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So when you realize what you have, it's really easier to appreciate what you don't. So we're very unlikely to suffer here in the States along other believers in prison. However, there are several non-profit organizations, Christian non that serve prisoners and serve the persecuted church. Right? And as you just you can just look them up. Start to follow one on social media. Become more informed about fellow Christians who are suffering due to their faith and make it a regular thing to pray for them. Maybe you start with 1111. Phyllis and I had the privilege of personally knowing someone who was in such a situation. This man is Andrew Brunson, who was an American who I actually shared an office with for a short period of time while we were both working in Istanbul, Turkey. Later, Andrew moved to the Izmir area of Turkey and was lawfully imprisoned for two years, and he was released. We, like many others, prayed for Andrew while he was in prison until he was released in October of 2018. It was all national news, um, Andrew Brunson. But we're not, most of us aren't going to have that knowing Andrew. So just know of somebody. You can pray for Andrew and his family um, and many others. We slide over to verse 4, and we're encouraged to love our spouses in a way that honors them. It says marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed be kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. We are given, we're supposed to give honor to marriage, as marriage is designed to be respected by all. And we know that that concept of honoring something is something that, it's where you see it as precious, something that you value. It's where marriage is properly valued and recognized as, you almost hear the, the beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So how do you hold marriage? What viewpoint do you have on marriage? So I just wanna bring back this concept of precious that's mentioned here, or this idea of honoring it. Ironically, the same word is used to refer to the blood of Jesus. Peter talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. And he says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver and gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from our ancestors, but with the what? Precious blood of Jesus. A lamb which a defect. So the same word precious is really the idea that we want to get across here. Marriage should be considered precious by all and be kept pure. In verse 5, we go over to there, it says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you nor forsake you. This being content means really free from the love of money and the love of things. It's not being overly influenced by the desire for financial gain and more importantly, not to be dominated by such desires. This is the time of year, right? We're going to graduation parties. We're going to different other things. Meet people maybe you haven't seen in a while. Immediately in those parties, it's not hard to recognize somebody whose focus is money or their stuff, the love of money. Just ask them to start talking about, hey, what's going on in their lives, and they're going to tell you about the latest thing they acquired. Um, so that's really what, what we're being warned about here. And in fact, the other place the same phrase is used is in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 3, where it describes the characteristics of a good godly leader. And it says, among which those is that they are not a lover of money because it's really hard to love money and to love people. And leaders are really meant to be ones who really love people more than anything else. Love God and love people. So we're provide the rationale, but why, why is it that we don't want money to really overtake us? It's because you wanna be content with something else that has greater value in your life. In this case, that's being content with God's ever presence with us. It's how God was described as never desert us, never abandon us, never leave us in that proverbial lurch. God will never leave us in a condition where we lack what we need for life and godliness. With God, we're never going to feel forsaken. We're never going to feel a sense of helplessness in our dire circumstances because he is there with us. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So the question is if and how much faith, as we talked about in chapter 11, and hope, as we talked about in chapter 12, do we have in God? It's the faith that we have in God and the hope that we have with God that produces the love that we have for God. One of the most quoted Bible verses, very interesting, is in Philippians 4, verse 13. Many of you know it, you can quote it. And it says, I can do what? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now what's interesting, there's some verses that preceded that I wanna bring to your attention that talk about how this can be. And it talks about contentment. It says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it's like to be in need, I know what it's like to have plenty, I have learned the secret of being content in, every, in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Then, it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So, contentment is really what, in God, is what he designs us to have. And then, we're able to do all these things through his strength. So, here, in the last part of verse 5, in the beginning of verse 6, sliding over there, we talked about the Lord is my helper what more mortals can do for you, but it, what, what can mere mortals do to me? Here, the writer in Hebrews is, is going back to the Hebrew believers and explaining to them, reminding them a couple of verses that they're familiar with. Deuteronomy 31.6 is where the, he quotes in the latter part of verse five, and Psalm 118, verse six, as he quotes in verse six. And all of this is about God being our provision. It goes back to contentment, is God enough? Is what God gave me enough? Or do I just need a little bit more? And if I don't have enough, then I'm afraid that I'm lacking something. And as we sang earlier, we don't need to be afraid. Because of his love never fails. We end this section, as I mentioned, with verse seven, where we're encouraged to be mindful of our leaders here at our church. We are to remember them and see the kind of lives that they live and seek to have a life full of faith to go. So I think we have a a nice little mug of these guys. So these are our leaders here. And what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to see what kind of outcomes they have in their life as they follow after God. And do we want to have those same kind of outcomes in our lives? How do they manage their time? How do they manage their money? How do they manage their family? What are some ways that their life of faith and hope, and what does that produce in their lives? So now we're going to turn our attention over to verses 8 through 15, and again, we're not going to riddle through those individually, but I mentioned there's two themes I want to bring up there. The first theme is the theme of our need to be strengthened in grace. Jesus is the one who did things for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. We don't get righteousness by what we eat or what we don't eat or what we do or what we don't do. We're not renewed by observing regulations about this stuff. The reality is in this passage about how our hearts are strengthened only by God's grace and we have access to God through this new and living way that Jesus did by atoning for our sins. So today I just wanna pause and say, look, if you're here today or you're watching online, and you've never experienced this grace that we're talking about, our prayer is that today would be the day that God shows you how you can stop doing things to try to get right with him and realize that everything that you need has been done for you on the cross. It Doesn't matter what things you've done in your past of which God would not be pleased, Jesus is the one who makes you holy through his suffering and his dying on the cross for us. The second thing we see in this passage is is really that of worship. And Brian took some time last week in the end of chapter 12 to really talk about this like it's our continual offering to God as a sacrifice of praise, thanking him all the time. And he taught on this last week. So I'm not going to unpack it so much here. But I do want to turn our attention now to verses 16 through 19 because it comes back to these relationships and where we can show love to one another. So like we did with verses one through seven, we're gonna go through those individually. In verse 16, we're encouraged to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. So doing good is doing something that's a benefit to somebody. You're like, well, what 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 is something good I can do? Well, in our house, we often ask the question, how is that helpful? Or how is that beneficial to somebody besides yourself, right? And, and what I do say, there's also, there's also this part of just being generous and sharing and, and giving of something that's kind for the benefit of another. And I did not get his permission before this message, but I am going to just uh, slightly bring attention to there is someone in our church who loves to give gifts to many of the people here, and he's a great example of just being willing to do something that's good, because I know when I get something from him, it's typically very beneficial for me. Um, I may need to take an extra, you know, maybe not have dessert that night sometimes, or maybe there's flour, whatever it is, but it's not just the gifts, but it's really, it's someone who's thinking about what's beneficial for someone else. The gift is just a channel, like the card. It's really what's in somebody's heart that you were thought of ahead of time. So somebody thought of me, they did something nice for me, or they gave me something that's helpful to me. That's what we're seeing in verse 16. And Paul expresses this in 2 Corinthians 9, 13, the same idea, it says, because of the service by which you have been proved yourselves, Others will what? Praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel. And why will they praise God? For your generosity. So generosity isn't to bring attention to the giver. It's to give attention and praise to the one who gave the gifts to the giver. It brings the reflection back on him. So again, it goes back to not just what we do to do do good or to share with other people, but our motives in doing so. But we do exhibit our faith by the good that we do, and how we share with others. Moving over to verse 17, we're encouraged to have confidence in our leaders in the church, and I talked about the leaders a bit earlier. Almost all the other translations here talk about having confidence in them, truly really follow them, and follow their leading. And what I found interesting here is that we're persuaded, we are being persuaded to believe that they're truly looking out for our good. And, and that's really hard. Right? We have a lot of mistrust, we're not so sure, but what I can tell you is one of my favorite people that I enjoy reading um, about is Booker T. Washington. And Booker T. Washington said this about leaders. If you want to lift yourself up, lift up someone else. And so that's the lens we want to put on our leaders. Do we see them lifting other people up? And if so, then increase your confidence in them. The same idea of being persuaded about this, ironically, Paul uses in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, where he says, being confident of this, right? Basically being confident, again, in God, who what? Who started, and this is a great verse we all use, begin a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So in the same way we have confidence that God's gonna do things in our best interest and really help us to grow and be more like him, our leaders are instruments in his hands to do the same thing. That's how we need to be persuaded to look at our leaders. Turning over to verse 18 and 19, this last little snippet here, we're encouraged to pray for each other as brothers and sisters and pray that we would live lives that are honoring to God in the things that we think, the things that we say, and the things that we do. Now this prayer, there's different types of prayer in the scriptures, but this prayer is just interacting with God and asking him for more of something. So what are we asking God for more? Of? We're asking God for more faith, as we saw in chapter 11, We're asking Him for more hope that we saw in chapter 12, and we're asking Him for more love, that our desires would more match His, And that's to have for each other. This praying for each other is expressed well again by Paul in Colossians chapter 1 verse three, where he says, "We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you." So it's thanking God and asking Him for things. Lastly, we come to our benediction. And the benediction in these final greetings is found through verses 20 through 25, which remind us again of the love that God has for us. And rather than looking at these verse for verse, I just want to bring across the theme of the benediction and then kind of what do these final greetings mean. This theme of the benediction, again, is focused on, ironically, when you feel loved by God and you experience his love, there's a peace that comes in your heart. McLaren says it this way, that the peace of God speaks to our restless lives on our distracted hearts. So just like those receiving this letter, we too have that same need for peace, to calm our hearts in the midst of all we're experiencing. This peace is the tranquil state of our souls that results from being sure of the love that God has for us through the things that Jesus has done. Having this peace enables our souls to fear nothing, be content with what God gave us, and not be afraid of what he might allow happen in our lives we see how God is both the author and the giver of this peace. We feel this peace from God because we have peace from God. And this peace from God is the thing that stays the same. It doesn't fluctuate. But the first one, this feelings that we have a peace, do go up and down upon how we react to those circumstances. And we must remember that, that the object of our peace that we've earned through the gospel has to be the one that really dictates our feelings about how we have in our hearts. And then, as for these final greetings, this is where the writer ends up urging them to pay special attention to what he's written. He appeals to them to wait patiently, to listen patiently to his message. And again, throughout the book of Hebrews, you go back to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 3, Hebrews 10, 25, there's an exhortation and an encouragement. Keep going, keep going. It's worth it. Jesus is better. And at the end, he's just reminding them, be patient with me. So now that we've kind of understood, I mean, it's a very dense passage, a lot to bring to bear. A lot of things are already going on in your minds and hearts. There's just two questions I want to leave us with that I want us to think about this week. The first is, how much are we experiencing God's love in our own lives? As we sang the last song before I came up, it's like, fill me with your love. Are you full of God's love? As we come to church this morning, it's to remember that this God, who sees us here, listening to his word, worshiping, was the same God who, I don't, I'm sorry, I know we we're, we're, we're have some kids here, but who saw me naked in the shower this morning, right? And also saw my heart, and all that was inside it this past week. That's that same God. Okay? And I don't need to start faking it around him anymore. What I need to do is understand this love he has and use my energy to be able to experience that more, rather than my energy to cover myself and act like I'm different than I really am. What have we learned today about God's love in these passages that enables us to experience that love more? second question I want us to think about this week is how much are we expressing God's love to others in our lives? As we sang in that last song, lead me in your love, in your life, to the, lead, lead me in your love to those around me, how to show your love to those around me. So as I experience more of God's love, then I'm able to convey that more to others in my life. God's love towards others is not something I can conjure up for myself. It is something I've received that I pass on. So if I sense that I'm struggling to love others, it's most likely because I'm struggling to feel loved by God. I'm struggling to feel connected to him. Haddon Robinson says it real well. He says, if I have everything else but God and his love, I don't have much at all. But if all I have is God's love and his presence, then I can be content. Better to be a satisfied soul with him than anything else. So as we look through these relationships that we had, we just have to ask the question, how does God want me to express his love more to them this next week, these next weeks coming up? So I want to bring us back to our greeting cards. So... um, what was fascinating is you'd think in this day and age of social media that greeting cards would be on the decline. And ironically, statistics show that it's not. On both it, among the millennials, even all the happy birthday we do on social media, greeting cards are staying. In fact, a recent survey conducted found that seven out of ten card buyers surveyed considered greeting cards absolutely or almost essential to them. And eight out of ten of these buyers expect to purchase the remaining, the same amount or even more going forward. And of the balance of those who say they're gonna increase their purchasing, there's twice as many as they're gonna decrease. So why is it that we still wanna keep giving these cards? Well, I wanna go back to just a second and think about when you go to a card store. So there's different types of people who go into a card store to buy a card. There's some of us um, who remain unnamed, myself, um, who will maybe go to the dollar store over here Try to find something as quickly as possible that says just as, much, just as much, enough of possible to give it to somebody for that objective, right? That's called efficient buyers, okay? Um, doing a little, giving a little, okay? And then there's those people who spend a lot of time looking for that right card. It has to say what they really want to say. Because maybe we struggle with a blank card, but we're really happy when we find that card. My father-in-law is one of those people. He, He spends a lot of time looking for a card and when the cards he sends are all Hallmark cards, I mean, and you can look at the price on the back and look at the words on the side, I mean, everything is very meaningful, okay? So I bring these back to the occasion because really, it really shows the way that we love at the end of the day. Because love is something that takes deliberation, takes consideration, and has a cost. And if anybody thought about you anymore, and spend any more on you, it's Jesus Christ who gave it all. He gave his life for us. So I just as this week, as we ask God to help us to focus on either better experiencing his love or better expressing his love, I just want you to think of what, you know, what kind of card buyer, and more importantly, what kind of lover are you going to be to those people in your lives? May you be like those people, like my father along rather than like me, who take the time to look deeply and understand things and to love deeply through the expression of that love. Let's pray. Dear God, we just thank you for this whole series of the book of Hebrews and many of the things that we've learned about faith, hope, love, and how you are better. And you're better than anything else. You're the best. So Lord, today we just ask that you help us experience your love in deeper ways. Remind us again this week, in new ways of how great your affections are for us and how you love us so. Remind us again of how we are your portion and you are our prize. Help us to think about this week of just how much you love us. As we dwell on this love you have for us, may that spur us on to those love and good deeds that you've designed us to do. Help us to express your love to those in our lives. Help us to live this out this week and the weeks to come. In your name, amen.